Avoid legal snags by telling people they're being recorded. Lorenzo Alexander, Sean O'Connell, you are both being recorded. I do not consent. Uh -oh. <laughs> we can't do a cast. <laughs> Y'all going to get me locked up, man. I would never do that to you because you would survive exactly one day. Not even a day. Not even a day. If I was posed with kill yourself or go to jail, I'm taking suicide every day and on Sunday. I would do it. What am I going to do in jail? The white people would hate me. The ethnic people would hate me. Can't. I mean, I'm a fighter a little bit. I mean, I'm 6'5", 220, so I could no. like maybe survive a little bit, but I'm, no, I'm not like a real fighter. <laughs> no. And then I'm pretty. So they're all going to be on me anyway. I don't want to be a racist. What would I do in jail? You're pretty, so someone would make you their boyfriend, and then, you know, you'd walk around holding somebody's pocket. It'd be fine. <laughs> yeah, but see, I, I can't go down that route, so that's not an option for me. So I would only die. My only option is death. Well, that's pretty dark, so let's not start with that. <laughs> All right, we'll probably cut this one out. Welcome on into the program. It is two Z's and OC. That would be Lorenzo Alexander on Twitter at one man gang 97 on Twitter and Sean O'Connell at real OC sports. I am at Zach sports, Z A K sports. What's going on gentlemen? Why are you laughing so hard? OC? Uh, I just hey, read man. One man. <laughs> you know, some people say man as opposed to man. Uh so it looks like Mang. Like when you read it, when you look at it, I see Mang because I'm from the hood. So, it's not the first you know time saying? It, though. It's not the first time. So it's okay, though. No worries. It's all good. I'm from the hood. You know what I'm saying? Those North Berkeley Hills. You yes. know what I mean? So when I say Mang, I see Mang. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah I feel you, man. Go ahead and do your thing. What's yeah. going on, gentlemen? Uh, we're going to get into the NBA Finals. LeBron maybe possibly christening himself as the best basketball player ever. We'll get into that. My man Jimmy Butler went down. He just didn't have enough help around him. And we're going to get, obviously, into week five of the NFL. But before all of that, OC, was he delayed this podcast by a little bit because he said the um, not the in-laws, but the pounds. So, OC, yeah. what's that like? With the, is this the first time the parents have been in town since you got married? No, 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 no. Not since I got married, but the first time in the new house. You know, I just moved into a new place. And so they wanted to come out, see the place, see their grandbaby, of course. So first time they've been out here in a minute. And it's just my parents are the sweetest, nicest people in the world. But they're not like quick and efficient people. It's not like, hey, I, I'm going to go sit down in the office. I'm going to do a podcast real quick. I'll see you guys in an hour. It's not like that. Like, oh, never mind. We'll be fine. It's like, oh, okay, okay. Well, well, well where's this? Okay, well, well, what do you want us to do with the baby? Well, well, it's like, oh, geez, you know what? <laughs> they're almost they're too nice. Like they, they need every detail laid out. They're much better human beings than me, and so they don't want to, like, step on any toes. They don't want to do anything that they shouldn't. Well, does does Kendall need help with this? It's just all I need you to do, the baby's <laughs> Give napping. me an hour. <laughs> just turn on a television. Give me an hour. It could be the other way, though. They could come in and be rearranging the furniture, so be appreciative of your parents oh, being considerate. <laughs> that's right, because that's what my, my mother-in-law does. Oh, okay, yep. See, oh, there you go. <laughs> She doesn't listen to this. Speaking of people listening to the podcast, uh, I got in trouble because my lady's mother happens to be an avid listener of the Two Season OC podcast. And boy, did I get busted out for busting her out for yep. trying to bust Lorenzo out for being on another podcast. And she's Polish. I'm not sure if you know much about Poland, but they don't play. And let's just say that, uh, you know, it didn't go over very well with me um, airing out the dirty laundry about my lady telling me about Zoe being on another podcast. Wait, 
So this is interesting because one, you've now you put another layer on the story to make us believe you actually have a lady by talking about her mother. And she's Polish. How many C's and Z's are in her name? Do we know? So many. And it's it's so confusing. I don't even know how to pronounce any of it. And she speaks fluent Polish. So she'll like talk with her mom and they'll be talking. They could be talking about me the entire time. No one knows. They're just talking in Polish the entire time. She's half Polish, half Peruvian. How's that for a mix? Wow. That's delightful. Anyways, uh, the mother was like, yeah, uh, easy on busting out my baby. And I was like, won't do it again. We'll not do it again. <laughs> Anyways, uh, sports we shall delve into. And I want to start here. And I actually, I want to start with Zoe because I want to ask him what exactly. <laughs> There's a part of me when I'm watching Sports Center throughout the weekend or I'm reading different articles. There's a part of me that goes, okay, obviously it's 2020 and left is right and wrong is right and up is down, whatever. Everything is turned upside down. But in terms of preparation for a game, if you're a Tennessee Titan, if you are on the defensive line, let's say, Zoe, for the Tennessee Titans, how exactly do you go about this week and how much does it throw you off kilter just how much everything's been turned upside down? I don't think it really throws me too much off as far as the Titans go because they've had a significant amount of time off from a mental standpoint, preparing from the game as far as understanding what I have to do from a schematic standpoint, you know, how I'm going to attack this guy, what do they like to do out of these formations, because I've had an extended amount of time to actually prepare for the game. I think the biggest, I guess, transition would be for my body, because I had the, the privilege of playing in the league for so long, and you get on a time clock as far as Sundays, for whatever reason, your body just feels much better than any other day because it knows, especially during those six months, that it's time to go play. Now, when you start switching those things up and you push it back a couple of days, Tuesday or even like a Thursday during the season, it's like, hey, man, we don't normally do this on these days. I normally have to figure out, you know, a tort all or something like that to get going, but you have to figure out some other way mentally to physically get your body going, get the juices flowing because it's so so much out of the, the normal routine that that's where I think most guys have an issue with from a physical standpoint versus a mental standpoint, especially when you're playing on these off days or games get pushed back or maybe moved up for whatever reason is your body clock. Because most coaches, or at least the smart coaches, normally you have practice during the week at one o'clock or whatever. So your, your body time is on that time frame. And then just naturally, because you play games and the, the intensity picks up every Sunday, your body gets used to, OK, every seven days at one o'clock, I got to make sure I'm, I'm amped up and ready to go to do, you know, play a football game for 60 minutes. So that's going to be the hardest part, I think, for the Tennessee Titans with that layoff and now coming back on a Tuesday, which is extremely unconventional for, for anybody to ever be, you know, who's played a game in the NFL. So, Zoe, it's less about your daily routine and more about the amount of time off, because I would just think messing with what you did Monday through Saturday would be the part to me that I would think would be the most disturbing. But you're saying it's more about the time off, not so much as your schedule being altered? Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, obviously, they. I don't know what it's like not to be able to go into practice. So, yes, they have to get ready for that. That has changed. But from a mental standpoint, getting ready for the game, that's fine. Now, as far as going into the game physically, because they have been off for so long, then you think about – because being in shape and then being in playing shape is totally two different things. And if you go too far off, that's why you see a lot of people when they come back from a bye week, that first day of practice, it feels like you ain't played in a, in a month just because your body's not used to going out there and practicing. Now you're throwing, talking about playing a game. That's even another layer of it. And then, like I said before, just your body gets used to doing certain things, peaking at certain times, 
whether that's training over a long period of time or if you're thinking about on a micro level from a week-to-week basis, it gets prepared to practice versus Wednesday, Thursday, Friday versus, okay, now Sunday, I got to ramp up. And so that's going to be the two things that they have to overcome. It's more physical than mental because they've had a long runway as far as preparing for the Bills tonight for what they like to do, you know, schematically, first, second down, third down, red zone. All those type of things are much easier to be prepared for versus how you're going to feel actually going out there and competing and having to execute those things. As long as we're talking about body clock, I don't want to hijack the conversation because I want to stick on the NFL, but I wanted to pick Zoe's brain about this because it flew under the radar for most people who are really wrapped up in the NFL right now. Pac-12 football is going to start November 7th. USC Arizona State is going to be a 9 a.m. Pacific time kickoff. And it's mixed reviews from coaches in the conference, from everybody around football on whether or not this is going to be a good idea because the strategy behind it is you don't bury your Pac-12 game at 8 p.m. Eastern so people aren't watching that thing, right? You're going to put a game on with USC. That's not an accident, right? One of the premier brands, the premier brand in the Pac-12. And you're going to hope that you get more of a national audience watching Arizona State USC. But that comes with the risk of, you have these guys on a 5 or 6 a.m. wake-up call, you know, an early team meal. Their bodies are supposed to be ready to go at 9 a.m. You just talked about that body clock, practicing at game time, basically. Now these coaches are going to have to make a choice to wake their guys up for a week at 5.30 a.m. or something like that. What do you think of it? Yeah, I mean, that may be difficult, I think, because they are so young. I think the younger you are, the more resilient you are. And, and I could definitely tell the difference between when I first got in the league versus when I was year 15. Especially when you talk about traveling, different games, my body just was very more uh, sensitive to those type of things. So now you're dealing with a whole bunch of 18 and 20 year olds, so I, or 22 year olds. So I don't think it will be as significant. And so coaches will have to make sure that they, you know, maybe have a seven o'clock wake up call. You have a quick team meeting, and then you're out on the field by nine o'clock. And then because they are so young and still so resilient, I think waking up at 5:30 or six o'clock for that one game, I think most of the time. Most young men to be resilient enough to be ready to go physically, especially if you've been practicing at that time. The big thing is when you practice at, let's say, 1 o'clock, and then all of a sudden it's week. Now you have to play at 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock, depending on where you travel. Then that's yeah. when it becomes more of an issue. But because it's the first game of the season, you have a ramp-up period to prepare yourself for that. And so I would recommend all those young men during camp, waking up at 6 every day, you know, get ready to play for, you know, obviously practice, but then obviously the game. and Because that SC – ASU game is going to be huge as far as, you know, potentially going 7-0, playing in the Pac-12 championship, and ultimately maybe get bid in, in college playoff system. Shout out to Herm Edwards. I'm always rooting for him. And, you know, I hate USC because I'm a Cal dude. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of similar, right, Zoe? Because if you, let's say Cal plays at North Carolina and that game starts at 12 their time, that's 9 California time anyway. So it's not that huge of a difference, but it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Let's get back to the NFL. And I just have one simple question for both of you. I don't care who starts. Did Tom Brady forget that it was fourth down? That's my only question. Did he actually do it? Because he hasn't admitted to it. But I mean, it was pretty obvious, right? Yes, he forgot. And, you know, he clocked the ball which made him lose track of the downs. Whoever was in his ear didn't think they had to remind him what down it was because he's Tom bleeping Brady, right? <laughs> 21 you know, years. So, so you think they, like, maybe they thought, hey, I should tell him that it's fourth down, but they, they didn't even think to do it because they figured that he knew because he was Tom bleeping Brady? Well, if you're doing this with, like, you know, Justin Herbert, who played on Monday Night Football, did a great job last night. If you're doing it with him, 
you're reminding him down in distance. You're, you're, you're letting him know in the headset all of those things because that's just your job as a quarterback's coach or your job as an offensive coordinator or whatever else. If, if you're coaching Tom Brady, you're probably not worried about something like that, you know? Well, you might insult him if you even tell him. If you're like, hey, Tom, it's fourth, he'll be well, like, hey, mother bleeper, I'm Tom Brady. I know what down it is. Yeah, I think it's a great reminder that you never can get away from the fundamentals no matter how great you get. And so yeah. even though it is Tom Brady, just part of your protocols as far as, especially in, in certain situations of football, you always run it through those little minute details because the game can get away from you at times. And I don't care who you are. You all have those mistakes. Kirk Cousins did it a few years ago where I think he nailed it and clocked it and did, forgot it was fourth down and they had to go yeah. in at halftime and end up losing the game. And so yeah, I remember that. everybody has those moments. Obviously, those moments are a lot far fewer between when you're talking about Tom Brady and his greatness and his football IQ. But it, I think it's a great reminder for Byron Leftwich. Um, and all coaches that no matter who you're dealing with, whether it's a, a Hall of Famer or a rookie quarterback or whatever position, that you always want to go through the same fundamentals and routine just to make sure guys are locked in and he's still aware of it because yeah. Yeah. it's human error and you never yeah. want to take things for granted and it ultimately costs you a game that may cost you a playoff spot or maybe winning Home the field advantage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's little things that come on the back end of, of that mistake. And it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt it just doesn't to hurt do it nobody. anyway. And it's Tom yeah. Brady, and he loves being coached. He's yeah. not going to say, why are you telling me it's fourth down? Oh, he <laughs> might say, oh, thanks, bro. I, I actually thought it was third. You know yeah. what I mean? That, that's what <laughs> would have happened in that game. Like, woo. Yeah. And, and so those are why I think it's a good reminder never to get away from the fundamentals of football or the fundamentals of breaking down a certain situation because somebody may have forgotten and may be the best quarterback who's ever played the game. Yeah. Hey, everyone who's trying to sweat Tom Brady for that right now, I mean, like, you're just a hater if you're trying to say that means anything about where he's at in his career. If I'm watching the end of that game, I'm actually more concerned, not with that moment, right, because it can happen to anyone, like Zoe's saying. I'm actually more concerned that Tom Brady missed two throws at the end of that game, like just missed two throws. You're not supposed to do that if you're Tom Brady. You're obviously not supposed to have the mental error if you're Tom Brady, but you're definitely not supposed to miss two throws in crunch time. Everyone's kind of, you know, telling us that Drew Brees is washed because he's starting to miss a little bit. People have been waiting for years to say that Tom Brady is washed. If father time is catching up to these dudes, one little mental error at the end of the game is going to be used against them because it's more visible and high profile. And you got the meme of him holding up the floor. But if I'm actually talking about it from a football perspective – I'm studying why he missed those throws. That's what I think. Earth, I mean, he got another pick. You know, was it a pick? It might even been another pick six. I mean, so I mean, he's coming back down to earth. I mean, ain't nobody gonna be able to play this game forever. But uh, you know, he's still Tom Brady, and you'll go with him over the majority of quarterbacks in the league still. Yeah. Well, he also he made that throw based on thinking that it was third. He wouldn't have taken that shot down the field to try to get a big chunk of yardage if he had known that it was fourth. He was doing that, taking the shot, right. knowing. Right or not knowing, thinking that, that he had another down. So yeah. that's a whole separate thing. But also, real quick, and I don't want to spend the entire podcast on Buccaneers and Bears, but are the Bears the worst 4 and one team ever? <laughs> ever? We'll see. I know it's, it's too early. Uh, cause it's I've been a part it's of a- fool's gold, though, right, Zoe? I mean, look, I know you love defense, and I know Khalil Mack is an absolute beast, but they got Nick Foles in there replacing Mitch Trubisky. I just don't, I don't think that this can sustain hey, over the course of the season. Some respect on Nick Foles' name. The man's a Super Bowl-winning quarterback. Okay. All right. He's also awful. But, yes. He's not awful. 
He's the Brad Johnson of Super Bowl champions. <laughs> That's a lie. He's Brad Johnson. <laughs> he's Trent Dilfer. He's 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 one of those names that you bring up of. He's not great, but yes, he won a ring. He's solid, man. He, he'll win you some games. He's not going to lose you a whole bunch of games, and it's part of it. But are they the worst 4 on one team I've ever seen? I don't know. I mean, we've got to wait. I mean, I've been a part of a 6-2 and two team that ended up going 2-6. and six. So, I mean, as of right now, you just got to ride the wave. and You, you went 6-2 and two and finished 8-8? Eight and eight? Yeah. Yeah, missed the playoffs. Yep. So, you just you never know. They could be that, or they could be find out a way to, to – Lucking in and falling into these wins and end up being 12 and four. You just never know with football. I mean, it's Fair just week. It's I'll, just all over the place. I'll be putting my money against the Chicago Bears any chance that I get. Anyways, let's move on. The Falcons, they have fired Dan Quinn. They have fired the GM. Arthur yep. Blank has stepped in, said no more. Wow. I mean, I talked about how quickly you can be Bill O'Brien and be up 28 to three against the Chiefs, and then how quickly you could be fired. And now you're looking at a guy that was up, what's the mean, 28 to three? Same thing. Was it the same thing Similar. in the Super Bowl against the Patriots? And now he's out of a job. The Falcons go to, they fall to 0 and 5, losing to the Panthers at home. I think Dan Quinn is a great coach. I think he got the Falcons to the Super Bowl for a reason. I think Matt Ryan's a great quarterback. Obviously, I think Julio Jones is a great wide receiver. I don't know what really went wrong with Atlanta, but what do you make of all that, Zoe? That's why he's not there because of the roster of guys that you just named and the lack of production. And I think the re- how we got there really doesn't matter, especially when you're thinking about from ownership. you just worried about results. You know, as a coach and a player, you like the process and understanding which and why did it happen. But at the end of the day, it's a result-based uh, league and the production. And I really feel like they never really got over that loss to the Patriots because they've never really been the same since then. And so I don't know what it is, but to have all that talent and to find ways to lose games, to find ways to blow leads, it's going to happen. And then because of Demeroff tying himself to Quinn, you get both guys out of there. That's the only reason why that ever happens because Demeroff has given him the talent and so you, you automatically have to think, okay, well, he must have been standing on the table for Quinn, and we need this guy. He needs to be here. We're going to get this thing right. If mm-hmm. not, you can fire us both, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's similar what it had to play out to be because I don't know what happened, though, because internally I know some guys that played. Everybody loves Quinn. And so it, it just has to be a breakdown, you know, structurally of, you know, maybe not then again you know, focusing on those small things that turn out to be bigger things than what you think that end up, you know, falling into a loss, like not recovering a fumble. Mm-hmm. You know, those things are adding up and have put them in a bad situation and ownership had to move on. I mean, I'm with Zoe. Like, the why it happens when you're on five doesn't matter anymore. When you're on five with decent talent on the roster, with some pieces that a lot of other teams in the league would like to have, it just results at the end of the day, all sports, the NFL probably especially, are a results-based business. And if you're not getting results, you don't keep your job. Whether it's your fault, somebody else's fault, GM's fault, whether players are not showing effort or whatever, the shit rolls uphill every time, and a head coach is responsible. So it only made sense they had to move on. Well, I, and I don't want to stay on this too long, but it, it, it's crazy to me because let's say the Falcons hold on and win that Super Bowl against Tom Brady. We're giving how much of a leash for Quinn? He gets Two what? Season. Two seasons. That's it? Yeah. So you win a Super Bowl, and you get two seasons after that. That's right. Yeah. Okay. What have you done for me lately type of league? 
But but so, but like have, that quick, though. Yes, I mean you have coaches that have been fired that have had winning records or that have been you know twelve and four made the playoffs and still get fired. That have continued to win and they didn't win a Super Bowl and they get fired in that season. And yeah, so, but I feel like that's new, Bowl, though. No, 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 no. It's new as in, I mean, the last, I don't know, 15 years. I mean, that's happened since I've been in the league. So, I yeah. mean, new in the age of the entirety of the history of the NFL, probably, because it's moved from a, you know, obviously free agency has changed. I feel like I, if you won a Super Bowl, if you won a Super Bowl in the 80s, you would have a job in the 90s. No. Your team was probably going to be good because in the 80s there wasn't any free agency, so you kept those guys. Yeah. So there wasn't a chance of you – then being a Super Bowl contender, then falling off the map, as you'll see now, where you'll have people go to the playoffs one year, not be in it. Then the next year, you have teams that didn't go to the playoffs, but, but, but get in. And that's because of the free agency era. And that's really what has changed. So probably since 93, you've probably start seeing more of these ebbs and flows of teams and guys getting out of there a lot sooner. You're like, man, didn't he just win a Super Bowl? Why aren't they good? <laughs> because all the teams that weren't good poached all their solid core players yeah. and put them away and now they're not good anymore and, and because this is a business driven by wins that equates to dollars owners are like man hey, if you ain't winning if you ain't winning playoff games and getting me to championships i'm getting you out of there and that's yeah. that's what all the you know i would say the organization is trying to get on top now there's some teams like pittsburgh tradition like a green bay obviously like new england there's some teams that will keep head coaches because they understand, but those are more the old-school type mindset. Mm -hmm. Family-owned businesses that have mm -hmm. been in for a long time that have less head coaches, where some of these other owners come from corporate America where, mm -hmm. hey, I'm used to having a new CEO every three <laughs> years. And if you yeah, ain't yeah. up to production, get out of here. Yeah, yeah. So it's a different mindset of how things are ran, and you can really look at yeah. that from old old-school owners versus some of these new-school ownership. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Steelers have had what? Chuck Knoll, <laughs> yeah. Bill Tower, and, uh, and, and Mike oh, Tomlin. Yeah. That's about it, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. the whole lineage. Right. Chris football is like this, though. I mean, who is the Raptors coach who won Coach of the Year and got fired in the same year? Toronto Raptors a few years ago. Yeah. Right before they won their title. Coach right. of the oh. Year, won, won in the East, and got fired. Yeah. Oh, then, God. It happened. I mean, this is Mark the Jackson. Mark Jackson with the Warriors was building the team that eventually won that restarted the Warriors dynasty and they got rid of him and they brought in Steve Kerr. So, I mean, like it happens in every sport and winning the Super Bowl is slightly different, but I'm telling you in, in any major sport now where there's major economic ramifications, college football, NFL football, major league baseball, all of it, two year leash after you win a championship. Joanne Casey was the guy that you were talking about. And yeah, he did. Yeah. <laughs> won it won it and got canned i mean i it's just crazy to me because i feel like in my era you were basically gifted x amount of time not i mean if you won your division even let alone winning your conference let alone winning an actual championship i just felt like you got a much bigger window than guys are yeah. getting now anyways move well, along we shall well, raiders and chiefs well, how many well, people well, saw hold this on, hold on slow oh, down go ahead go ahead when was your era what era? my what? era it was your era 90s is probably my era. <laughs> 90s. Okay, I'm just checking, man. I didn't know you had an era. Era in terms of times that I played. Oh. I just meant when I was growing up. I was oh. born in 83. Oh. So, so I would say my era of what I'm talking about is like 90 era, to 2000. Era. You act like you this old dude yeah. with all wisdom and you just let us know how it used to be back in the day. So I'm, well, just, I'm old. Hey, so I just turned 37. Neither of you guys wish me a happy birthday. I turned 37 and went down to Carmel with my lady. 
when but I'm 37 your... now. I feel like I can say back in my day or in my era. I feel like yeah. I can say that now, era. no? In the 90s. So let me do the math on this. The 90s were your era. So, Zo, from 7 to 17, that was the sweet spot. <laughs> exactly. It was. Hey, but sincerely, oh, sincerely, I apologize for not wishing you happy birthday. When was your birthday? October 8th. I guess Wednesday, Thursday. The only way that I know anyone's birthday Facebook. Is Facebook <laughs> alerts. Yeah. So I apologize I for that. It's so bad. You know, my dad used to have this Rolodex thing where he had every so every time he flipped the day, it would like either have stuff that he had to do for the day or whatever, but it would also have everybody's birthday on it. I want to go back to those days. Now I don't even, like when I get messages, happy birthday or whatever, I know they only see it from Facebook. That's right. When's my there's birthday? Few, there's like maybe five, ten people whose actual birthday I know offhand. When's mine? September 27th. No. <laughs> Didn't wish me happy birthday either. Anyway, move on. Close. <laughs> move on. What, what is it? You got the right month. It was September 2nd. Nice. Nailed it. All right. Ra- Raiders Chiefs, gentlemen. I don't know that a lot of people saw this coming. I had a buddy bet, I think, $10, and he made $45. I think they were plus 450 in Las Vegas. And that's fitting because they are the Las Vegas Raiders. But Derek Carr gets his first win in Kansas City. What did you make of that game? Zoe, not sure how much you saw of it, but yeah. what an incredible feat for Derek Carr and co. Yeah, I was actually traveling, so I saw bits and pieces of it. Then I had to go back and kind of watch it. We actually went up to the Grand Canyon, but that's neither here nor there. Nice. Watch it, but it was cool. The Raiders did a great job of beating the Kansas City Chiefs at their own game. You know, taking big shots. Yep. Uh, Big-time touchdowns. Get, yep. they, they really, early in that game, I think, gave Patrick Mahomes some fits, getting him off the field. They didn't have sustained drives early on. And I think because of that, the defense then had to be exposed even more to Jacobs, obviously having a great run game. And so they beat him at their own game, and I think Kansas City Chiefs really thrive off of complimentary football where their offense puts up you know, just crazy points, explosion plays after explosion plays, and then their defense is able to just pin their ears back get interceptions, get sacks. And because that didn't really happen in this game, that wasn't trajectory. And when you watch some of the other games where the Chiefs have struggled, you see that really pop up. You know, the, the score is a lot closer. They don't have all these explosion plays. Their defense is exposed more to be to run because they don't play the run very well. And that's what happened in this game. And they didn't give Patrick Mahomes an opportunity to be able to win it. Yeah, I mean, any team, when you jump out and you stay on top of them like that, it's going to be tough for them to win. Kansas City's more equipped to to make it happen for themselves than a lot of teams are. But a big thing, and you heard Gruden talk about it postgame, they were getting contributions offensively out of guys that maybe haven't really kind of emerged. They haven't stepped up in the way that Las Vegas hoped they would until this game. So whatever they did to get themselves ready, whatever they did to adjust the game plan to get the ball in the hands of guys who were – maybe not as reliable as they wanted them to be. They got some big-time contributions. So, I mean, a well-deserved win and an unexpected win. Uh, I don't think ultimately it says anything about the power structure in the AFC or even in that division. But if you're the Raiders, you take that win all day and you build on it and you tell you start to build some belief in yourself that you can compete with the best team in the NFL. So I think somewhat of a milestone for them. I'm with you, OC. I don't think that this necessarily says that the Raiders are going to be competing with the Chiefs for the AFC West, but I did look at this game, and so I'm on a text thread, right? Obviously, I live in Berkeley, Bay Area, born and raised, so most of my friends are either Niners or Raiders fans, and I have a a Raiders thread, sort of, and kind of a Niners thread also, and the Raiders thread, they all hate Carr. Like, they all want him gone. I talked about this with 
with you guys last podcast. And Zell was like, well, who are you going to put in instead of him? Right. And they all hate him. They want him gone. They think he's a loser. They point to his record. Now you can't just point to a quarterback's record in terms of how good he is. And this was the type of game where he had a bad pick early that led to a chief's touchdown, but he also showed why I am the one sort of fighting for him all the time, because he does look good when things are going good. Now you could say that about, a lot of quarterbacks, but not every quarterback. There are bad quarterbacks that can look bad even when things are good. Carr looks great when things are good, and this was an example of that game. And I think, you know, everybody kind of laughed saying that they were touching into the spirit of Al Davis when they drafted Ruggs the third in the first round. But how many times have you seen a line, OC or Zoe? You tell me. Two catches, 118 yards, and a touchdown. Who has two catches for 118 yards? Brandon, that is just that's ridiculous. It's <laughs> called being the fastest guy on the field. That's why you get drafted. Yeah, and so, I mean, I, I think this was a big game for them in general. I mean, going from 3-2 and two as opposed to going to 2-3 and three is a huge difference, especially when you beat the champs who were undefeated on the road was a big deal, and I think this was one of those situations. I, I kind of touched on it last podcast where I talked about how Patty Mahomes, it seems like he's playing around in the first half, and then he kicks it into high gear, and this was just one instance where I think Derek Carr, I mean, he did kick it into high gear. I mean, they only scored eight points in the second half, but he started to try to kick it into gear, and I think Derek Carr was just that good, and the Raiders ended up getting a W that not a lot of people thought they would get. Yeah, and it's going to be huge for they, they psyche, and obviously I don't think they're ready to compete, but I mean, just looking at their schedule, I mean, when you beat the Chiefs, it gives you a lot of confidence. Winning breeds confidence. And so, you know, now you have Tampa Bay coming in. They could think, well, we could probably beat Tampa Bay. You know, Tom Brady's not looking like the, oh, we just beat the best quarterback in the league. Then you have the Browns who's playing well, Chargers, divisional games that you have confidence over. If they use this game, they can really maybe muster up you know, maybe finishing second in the division and really competing with these guys. Maybe not overtaking them because they're not quite there yet. But allowing this game to, to fuel their confidence and getting back to work and really make a run here, they may not win their division, but they're going to definitely make a lot more noise than what I think people was giving them credit for at the beginning of the year, including myself. Sticking with the Bay Area and OC's Niners lost to my Dolphins. And this is a before we get into the game, and we'll get into the game, I just want to ask both of you. I'll start with you, OC. Is it okay? Because I honestly, I didn't even... My brother is a hardcore Niners fan, like bought tickets to a Niners Seahawks playoff game in Seattle that cost a ton, paid for the hotel, paid for the flight, paid for the ticket, all that stuff. He loves the Niners. And I was telling him, and I was being honest, you can take the W. Now, is it okay? This is the first question that I want to ask before we even get into the game, because they are my Dolphins and they won. But I was rooting against them because I want a better pick. Is it okay to root against your squad to get a better pick? Because I didn't even want the Dolphins to win because I know they're not going to make any noise. No. No? No. You're never allowed to root against your squad? No, you're not. Okay. And y'all don't have a chance of getting the first pick. I mean, the Jets are horrid. (laughs) (laughs) I know, but at least a better pick. Uh, Yeah, okay, a better pick. Maybe a higher pick, but yeah. Y'all, y'all like compete for it, but it's just too many teams out there that are not good at all. You can I'm never gonna put it on the poll. When I put this podcast out, I'm gonna put it on the poll. Do is it. it smart to root against your team when they know they don't have a chance so they get a better pick? I no, think the answer to that is yes. You're saying no, you're no trying OC. Trying to build culture. Why are you trying to root against your team and lose? You want a losing culture? 
Yeah, for like th this is something I learned from point. people like Zoe, who have jobs on these teams, right? <laughs> you as a fan could be like, oh, I want a better draft pick, all this stuff. You cannot, as a player on a roster, you cannot not go out and compete. You cannot not go out and do your job. You cannot not go out and coach as hard as you want to because you're hoping that things will get better somewhere down the line, that some magical, like, number four instead of number eight pick is going to be the answer for your franchise. Like, any fan who believes that that could potentially be the case, you don't understand that, like, it's in football especially, this isn't basketball where a LeBron James pick can change the outlook of your franchise for decades. You're talking about maybe in a rare case where you get a Peyton Manning-type player – you can really alter the fabric of the, your team culture. But there are 53 dudes on a roster, and to ask 52 of them to just be accommodating to like, hey, let's let's hope that we get one dude in this upcoming draft. Don't ask for a better pick. Ask to pick better. Your GM should be better. Your scouting department should be better. Yeah, but OC, be OC, Nick Bosa can change your – Nick Bosa can change your, your franchise outlook? No, no, no. I'm just saying – Getting a better pick, you're saying that like one guy can't make a difference. There are oh, guys that you can not say one guy can't make a difference. I'm saying one guy is not the difference between right. you being uh, a playoff team and you being the Miami Dolphins for the last three decades. Like outside it's, just, it's not one pick, right. right? Outside of quarterback, there's not one position on the field that's going to equate to giving you you know plus three or four wins outside of quarterback to get you from you know non playoff to playoff. Now, they may contribute and do well, but if you were to remove that guy outside of quarterback from the team, if, you have, if you're on a pretty good team and you have a pretty good culture, you're going to continue to operate the same level. Yes, will you miss that guy, but you'll have other guys because of the culture you've built as, to O.C.'s point, you've drafted well, you've brought in great depth. So when you miss that guy, you have guys that can come in and handle the load, maybe collectively, not, maybe not individually, but collectively and you still are able to figure out ways to win games because of the culture that you've established, a la Patriots, which is, I think, is a great model as far as not relying on one guy. Because if you rely on one guy in this league where the injury rate is 100%, especially in a year like this where it seems like all of the top-tier guys are dropping out like flies, your whole season is over. And so you, right. you be able well, to pick We'll put it on the poll. I'll bet a dinner that I win that. Uh, do you think yeah, it's smart it's to bring against your team to get a better – It's a fan question. So yes, yeah, because I bet you will. They always want the sexy pick. They always want something yeah. different. A better way to ask that question is, if you tank for Trevor Lawrence, are you all of a sudden a playoff team? And that by itself isn't going to do it for you. And by the way, to root for the Dolphins to tank, you already have your quarterback of the future, don't you? Yes. Are you kidding me? My Tua? My, okay, so my if you Tua have your of the future, you especially don't want to tank. Well, no, because we can get any position. Get yeah. a defensive lineman, whatever. Oh, we'll put it up on, on Twitter, at 2Zs and OC, the number 2, Z-S-A-N-D-O-C on Twitter. And, and we'll see well, what the I'm poll results show. I'll leave you with this. The Dallas Cowboys, when you had 11 pro bowlers, how far do you think they went in the playoffs that year? Uh, lost in the first round. Yeah, uh, exactly. So, uh, <laughs> again, talent doesn't mean anything. You have to have culture. You have to have chemistry you have to have guys that know how to play hard i mean talent is one thing but it's not going to get you a championship so i got you all right well let's get to the actual field 43 to 17 good god if you had taken the uh, dolphins money line you'd be in business and garoppolo i'm not sure and i want to know what you guys think because i don't know 
When I was watching the game, Garoppolo, 7 of 17, 77 yards, two picks, no touchdowns, took three sacks, a quarterback uh, rating of 1.4, which is hard to see. You rarely don't see double digits when it comes to the QBR. But was he benched at halftime because of performance, or was he benched at halftime because his ankle was bothering him? Because he came in off of an ankle injury. Probably both. Yeah, I mean, okay. ankle, that's it. Ankle injury was probably <laughs> leading to him playing poorly. You know, obviously, he's probably not most people's favorites, but he's not as bad as what he showed, you know, in this past game. Coming off of an injury, you know, missing a game, all those things may have been attributing to him, you know, not getting the ball where it needed to be. I, and I didn't see all of, and you probably watched the game, OC, but it, there's more to than he just threw a, a whole bunch of picks and didn't complete things. And so was he getting hit consistently? You know, were guys getting separation? Were guys dropping balls? Was his O-line protecting? And there's a whole lot of things that go into that, especially when a guy is injured and tentative. And so playing a quarterback is probably, you know, one of the most fearless things you can do because you really depend on a lot of people. And when you're hurt and you can't maybe move as much, it's hard to do your job at an elite level or at your level, and especially when you're hurt. So it probably was a combination of the two, obviously not doing well, being hurt, hey, let's get this guy out of here. He's not going to give us a chance to win this game, and it doesn't maybe look like we're going to win it anyway. So let's protect him and making sure that he's here for the remainder, you know, 10 weeks and let him get healthy. So you think both, Zoe? You're with OC? You think both? Yes. I mean, I think if he was – I think the injury was leading to his poor play, but he got taken out because of his poor play. Because if he was playing well, even though his ankle was hurting, he stayed exactly. out. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah, I'm yeah. just saying it's both because of I think the poor play led to his yeah. was because of his ankle. The 49ers for the remainder of however long Jimmy G is even remotely banged up, they need to start C.J. Beathard. They are a skeleton crew right now. A lot of their best players are out. Start C.J. Beathard, and the worst-case scenario in that situation is uh, you know that he's not a guy moving forward and you get Jimmy G healthy. This is not a season – uh, the, the season's effectively over for the San Francisco 49ers with how many injuries they have long-term. Uh, the prognosis on guys like Nick Bosa, who you just mentioned, Zach coming back. Uh, Richard Sherman's going to be out for a little bit longer than they thought. I mean, it's the bright spots for them right now are a rookie wide receiver and a guy we already knew was the best tight end in all of football. So there's just – the Niners are about ready to pack it in, tank for whatever. Since we're we're rooting against our teams today, Zachariah, tank for whoever you think they need. I mean, it's a little bit different. They're two I and mean, three. They play in a damn good division. Like it's not, yeah, it's not going to be pretty for the San Francisco 49ers the rest of the way, especially if Jimmy G is playing tentatively like he did because he's not 100 percent healthy and you keep trotting him back out there. Put out yeah. C.J. Beathard. He's been all right. Like let's say Beathard plays well. Then what do you have? You have a situation where. You have developed a nice backup who's proven to other teams in the league that he can win as a quarterback, and you get some decent trade value out of him. It's a lost year for the San Francisco 49ers, and no one wants to say it yet because it's too early in a lot of folks' mind. They're 0-3 at home, and they've got four of their best eight players injured long-term. Yeah. Well, I mean, the home away thing, I don't think really matters as much as it did back when you had crowds and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I mean, the thing about it is that makes it like a bigger catch 22. While like if I was a Niners fan, why I wouldn't be rooting against my team is because this is a team that 
was damn near going to win the Super Bowl last year. But yeah, I mean, losing Bosa, losing Solomon, I mean, everybody's banged up, the running backs, the quarterbacks. It just seems like a year where, yeah, you're right. I mean, while I would still try to push forward because I believe in Mike Shanahan and I believe in his schemes and I believe in the defense and I believe in the the offense in general, it just seems, I mean, that loss to the Dolphins at home was really bad. Yeah, you can't believe in the defense either because the defense's front is compromised, and that's obviously been the thing that's made him so formidable, made him so formidable in a run to the Super Bowl a year ago. And right now, you have it's like if you were driving around in a nice car with no passenger side doors on it. All right, <laughs> one side of that passing defense, whether it's Brian Allen, who I watched yeah. in college, love the kid, but he's a yeah. liability. Akilah yeah. Witherspoon, soft and a liability. Yeah. Like if you are in a passing league, completely weak, inept on trotting out practice squad guys, defense, yeah. you're screwed. Yeah, and I think to the point of it being too early, I think that is because I know what they're probably going to look at, and this is probably a bad analogy because they don't have an Aaron Rodgers. But I remember the year that Aaron Rodgers, it might have been 2010, they won the Super Bowl. They started off horrid. I was in Washington, and I think we even beat them. And they had lost Jermichael Finley towards ACL in that game. We beat them. I think they might have been maybe two and four after we played them. And then they found a way to get healthy at the right time. And so they may be trying to bank on that. And because of the extra playoff spot, if they can win some of these divisional games, get healthy, find their way in, get healthy at the right time, maybe they have an outside chance. But it always goes back to never having a defeatist mentality. And so you're going to always try to win. And hopefully their culture that they've developed comes together at some point. They get healthy and can kind of fight and scratch their way back in. Yeah. I mean, the problem is Bosa's is not coming back at all. And Garoppolo, I talked about this since last year. I've been saying, not questioning whether or not he's a good quarterback, but questioning whether or not he's that dude. And I think it's pretty clear that he's not that dude. And he clearly was not that dude with the ankle injury. So uh, we'll see where it goes from there. But the thing that's been most talked about, and I guess we're bearing the lead a little bit, but we're not exactly a Cowboys podcast but the Dallas Cowboys find a way to win their defense still stunk gave up 34 points to the New York Giants who fall to 0-5 the Cowboys go to 2-3 and but the biggest part of the game was obviously Dak Prescott going down and I couldn't help but think about anything other than first of all one of the most disgusting things that I've seen live in person, like I didn't see who was it. Not Joe Theismann. Who was the guy that that uh, the Giants defensive end Lawrence Taylor? Joe um, who? It is Theismann. It, it was Theismann. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I didn't see that live because I was too young or whatever. Maybe my dad shielded my eyes. I didn't see that. Was the nastiest thing that I've ever seen in a sports game. And I've seen you know what Kevin Durant tearing his Achilles or whatever, or somebody tearing their ACL. Not as gruesome as seeing a body part that is going the opposite way of where it's supposed to be going. That was totally brutal. And I, the first thing, and I'm not sure if I'm alone on this or not, but the first thing that I thought about was the contract. And I guess what I'm asking is, what does it mean? I mean, obviously they signed Dalton, so they should be straight for the rest of the year in terms of at least being capable in that pathetic division. But in terms of Dak, what does that mean for his contract situation? Well, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, obviously the team has come out and said it doesn't. They lying, though. I know. Put it up there. Hey, this is what they said so far. Now, I don't think they're lying in the fact that they'll still try to sign him. Yeah, but not, but- they're definitely going to use it against him as far as, hey, 
You just exactly. got hurt. We don't know what you're going to be like. We don't know if this is going to be a recurring thing. So if you'd have finished out the way you started, we was going to pay you this. But now we have to pay you this to protect ourselves from what may potentially happen again. And we're not quite sure. So it's not going to stop them from trying to sign him. It's all going to be about, you know, what is it? The details of the contract look like, the guarantees, the incentives, how things are broken down are going to definitely shift in favor of the Cowboys because of this injury. How bad is that injury, Zell? Well, I've never sustained it. I say that I think because of, obviously, it's a broken ankle. I don't know all the medical stuff behind it, but because we are so advanced these days, it's, it's obviously a much, any, getting hurt in today's world is much better than getting hurt, you know, even 10 years ago. So I think he'll be able to recover, get back. It's really going to come down to his mental ability to be able to overcome what he sustained, you know. So now will he be antsy in the pocket? When linemen are flying by his legs, will he still be able to keep his eyes downfield? Will he still have the same type of confidence that he had before to take off and be the physical type of, of player that he is? All of those little things that don't necessarily, can he still throw a ball, you know, 50 yards? Can he, is he accurate? Can he make the reads? It's going to be about all the chaos going around him and can he survive through that and not but worry. But physically, about- you're not worried about him coming back normal? Because I know, I mean, no, no. Not I mean, because there was a time where you tore your ACL, you were never the same. There was a time in baseball, if you were a pitcher and you had Tommy John surgery, you were right. never the same. But I you're said, saying physically, you're not worried about that at all. You're more worried about the mental part. All those things you just named because of our medical advancements are no longer a real big issue. You know, guys can get back and recover. I mean, yeah, I right. sustained a Liz Frank, and if I did it 15 years ago, I, my career would have been over. But because of the medical advancements, I was able to come back get another pro bowl, become an all pro. And so I think that he will be able to do that from a physical standpoint. And so it's all going to be upstairs is going to be his biggest hurdle, whether or not he can stand in the pocket, knowing that his leg suffered what it suffered, you know, this past weekend. Gotcha. That's always the hardest thing when you get back from an injury. I'm not worried about will he be able to physically do things, but are you mentally able to be that same dude, fearless, sitting in the pocket when chaos is flying around you? You know, try to stiff arm catch when you run. Is he going to be the same type of player? Because in the back of his mind, subconsciously, oh, man, I don't want this thing to feel like it's going to oh, let me get down. Or uh, this thing, oh, let me just take this sack and fall. And, and you yeah, know, yeah, not yeah. the same type of, of aggression and aggressiveness and physicality that we've known Dak to play with. We, we saw this this weekend actually play out, right? That potential mental recovery state that Zoe's talking about. Alex Smith was put back into a football game by the Washington football team. Kyle Allen gets hurt after they bench Dwayne Haskins, and a dude who nearly lost his life because of an injury sustained in the pocket is back on the field throwing a football around. And look, Alex Smith, such an inspiring story that he got back onto the field. You can clearly see by the way he was moving around that, A, his leg might be technically cleared to perform, but it's not going to perform at the level he needs it to, to be a a good NFL quarterback. And also I think very understandably. So he looked skittish and he got sacked six times, which didn't help things. So Dak didn't have an injury that almost, I I mean, knock on wood. There's, we think Dak's going to be just fine from a physical standpoint, but it changes you sometimes when you know the cost, right? Ignorance is bliss right. when you're talking about sports. If you don't know how bad it can be, sometimes that's better. So I hope for Dak's sake and for the sake of a contract moving forward that he, he gets that out of his mind real quick. And there's a lot of ways you can do it, like 
sports psychologists are very successful in a lot of ways. And, you know, from a physical standpoint, he's just going to be fine. If it's not the Cowboys, some team in the league is going to pay a very young quarterback who's demonstrated the ability to win because there's only like 11 starters right now on NFL rosters that people are really, truly happy about being their franchise guy. So someone's going to pay Dak. I don't know if it'll be the Cowboys. Well, I'm glad you brought up Alex Smith. I was watching that game when he went in, and the part that stuck with me the most was watching his wife. His kids, I believe two sons and a daughter, pretty oblivious to what was going on. I mean, pretty happy that like their dad was going in or whatever, but like didn't really probably know the ramifications of all the stuff that he went through. But his wife, his wife was like not happy. His wife was terrified. His wife was holding her mouth and nose with her hands in complete fear the entire time that all that stuff went down. And OC, you mentioned it. The offensive line is so deplorable that, yes, he did get sacked six times, and I'm sure there was a bunch of stuff that went on in there. But I want to know for both of you, OC, you as a fighter and, you know, playing college football for Utah and you, Zoe, playing in the NFL, what is the worst injury? Because I, uh, you guys make fun of me all the time or whatever, first team all league, hashtag, you know what I'm saying? But, like, I've had injuries before, but I never thought about them. So I'm, I, I want to know what's the worst injury that you guys have had and did you think about it when you went back to doing what you were doing? Uh, I, my worst injury I've probably had, I mean, I, uh, had a nerve impingement in my right shoulder. Then I also tore my list. Frank, I mean, you could throw a concussion in there too. It's probably up, up there high as well. But with, yes. So my, my foot, I was able to come back and I was, I wasn't the same player. And so mentally I had to be okay with that until my foot got back to where it was at. And so I had to change my game up a little bit and be more cerebral until my body healed. So some guys are not able to make Interesting. That. And so that was hard. Well, my shoulder, I had to play the next week. And, I mean, I just I, you just get out there and you do what you do. I wasn't the same guy. I didn't make the same play. So, yeah, it was, it was in the forefront of my mind. And so those are the things that you have to get over when you're coming back from injury. And as far as my wife, that's probably one of the reasons why I tired because she, she sees all of the things of how I'm feeling. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Not being yeah. able to get stairs, not being able to sleep, having to yeah. sleep in a chair, yeah. you know. Neck, getting these migraine headaches because of tension in my head, all those things that she yeah. sees. So to relate to Alex Smith's wife, you know, my wife feels the same way, and that's why she's in so much fear just because of she's seen the process and knows how close he came to possibly losing his life. Yeah. So all those things are running through her mind, just like with my wife every time I think about who can I play. Well, you remember how you felt. You remember this. You remember yeah. that. Well, that's all- who you go home to. Right. That's you go home. It's kind of like how people say you don't want to know how the hot dog's made or you don't want to know how the sausage is made or whatever. They yeah. see how that's made. Yeah. I mean, everybody else sees you at the facility, but right. she sees you when you're home. Right, right. When I'm really being vulnerable, like I can relax. I don't have to put yeah. on this side, like, you know, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, babe, I'm hurt. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the worst injury I sustained, I only had two significant injuries. In my fighting career, thank goodness, uh, I tore my bicep tendon and my, my bicep rolled up in my arm like a window shade or whatever. And that sucked. I mean, had to have surgery for that one. And it changes the mechanics of your arm. Like it actually physically, the surgical repair is different anatomy than what your body is born with. So they pull the tendons down. They drill a hole through your ulna, oh. I think it is. And then they they wrap it and pin it and all that stuff. 
So it actually changes the flexibility of your elbow joint. It changes the flexibility of your bicep. Um, and in a, a sport where people, I mean, armbar submission is t- designed to hyperextend that arm, right? So like yeah. my, the, the mechanics of my arm took a couple of years to get back to normal. I don't think I ever really got the exact same power in my left hand uh, on the hook punch, but I mean, I was fine. I The best moments of my career happened after that, so I can't really complain about it too much. Uh, one thing, though, that I didn't have to have surgery for, but I, did, I slipped a disc in my back like after my third UFC fight. And I always kind of have I, I've inflexible hamstrings, which is, you know, a problem for your lower back. And uh, like I, I slipped a disc in my lower back and it took offensive wrestling out of my game plan completely because a lot of that is wrestling against the cage and you got to you got to bend down. Right. And you, you got to the leg or both legs. Then you got to stand back up. And it's not like when you're deadlifting or something where you can make sure your feet are nice and square. Your shoulders are back. Your spine is aligned, right? Yeah. So because I was constantly fearful that my back was just going to go out again, uh, I, bas- I I took wrestling out as an offensive weapon. Really? In my arsenal. Yeah, because just just that's the way it worked. And, and maybe, you know, maybe I could have done better in rehab or maybe I could have done better in uh, making the adjustments necessary. But the way that it you actually to deal with it? reality – was I just was like, I'm not going to hurt my back and have my feet go numb again, you know, so I stopped it. That's crazy. Uh, before we go on, and we're going to do rapid fire on, because I want to touch on the Seahawks and the Saints game here really quickly, but I, I've told this story before. I'm going to tell it a million times again because it never gets old for me. OC, uh, when he and I were working in San Francisco at, at the radio station, I was telling him how crazy I thought it was because I was watching his fights or whatever, and he's getting punched in the face or whatever. I thought he was a maniac. He'd show up to the radio station with a huge black eye or whatever. And then he said to me, he goes, well, how much money would it take for me if I just punched you in the face right now? Square in the face, how much money? And I said, I don't know that I have a dollar amount. And he's like, $10,000. I give you $10,000 right now. I punch you square in the face. I said, no. He said, okay, $15,000. $15,000 and I punch you square in the face. I said, no. And then he kept going up and up. I, I forget what number we reached where I actually agreed that I would do it. But Zoe, what is the dollar amount if I told you that OC was going to punch you square in the face? What's the dollar amount that you would do that for? I don't know. I, I I don't know. I'd have to think. I don't know. I, I'm not going to sit here and let a grown man just punch me in my face. I don't need money like that. I, I like my face. Okay. I'll, okay. Pretend like you're broke, like me. I don't know. I like my face. I like my, my teeth. Exactly. So I Zoe's with I, I I did not expect it's Zoe to agree no, with me, but he's it, with me. It, but that is much different when I can defend myself, and this is what I do, and I know, and, I, and I'm confident in my skill level that I've practiced. That's, that's way different. Now okay. I'm not just sitting here letting a dude hit me in my face. Let me just show up and stand here and hit me in my face. Oh, see, he's not doing that when he's in a match. Just hit me in my face. All right. You're kind of agreeing <laughs> with me, kind of not agreeing with me. Move yeah. on, we shall. Vikings and Seahawks. What in God's name, Zoe? You're sitting on the sideline. You're on the defense. And your coach chooses to go for it on fourth and inches and does not get it to go up eight and then ends up losing the game. How irate are you? Because yeah. I was watching that, and I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, if you watch the whole flow of the game, and I'm not vouching for him, it's a stupid decision, especially knowing who you're playing against. It would have made more sense if that him kicking the field goal only put him up six, right? Right, yes. And that would have made more sense 
But going up eight, you at least securing, okay, we're going to go to overtime because I know to do, and that's a much harder thing for Russ to go down and do, score a touchdown and get a two-point conversion. Yes. Well, I think he was, I don't know, in the moment, maybe he felt like, hey, we've been stopping him lately. Uh, let me just try to punch it. The game is definitely over, and I'm not giving Russ a chance at all. And so I think he just overthought it versus just kicking the field goal, kicking off, and then let's reset and let's go from here and let's put even more pressure on Russ because now he knows in the back of his mind, I, not only do I got to get a touchdown, I also got to get a two-point conversion. And so you want to apply as much pressure as possible to that situation, knowing who you're competing against. And not only him, the guys around him that ha- also have to compete. It's a dumb move, even if you're in the moment, because you realize, okay, I'm up eight, I'm at least secure this. But he was going for the win. And I don't know why he felt like he needed to go for the win, maybe because of their record or where they're at, but they definitely would have been hot. Kick the field goal, let us go down here, and they got to score on us twice. Yeah, but that defense – doesn't really have much of a leg to stand on giving up two fourth down conversions to, I mean, yeah, to Russ and to DK, that's, that's tough. But as mad as you are that they didn't just guarantee you the eight-point lead, you still got to go out and do your job. And then you force a fourth and ten, then you right. give up the first down. You force a fourth down in the end zone, basically, and then you give it up. It's like, damn. That was, look, a great comeback for Seattle. So many things went wrong for Minnesota after play, some really excellent play. Like to hang with Seattle is not easy when Russ is dealing and when they're utilizing all their weapons effectively. But it felt like they, they just spun out of control after the call to try and go for it. And, and you got to be able to, I don't know, you, you got to be able to recover from that when you have as much time left on the clock as they did. Well, shut out, quote unquote, at home for the first half and then 27 second half points. And yeah, I just, I can't wrap my head around stuff like that. I'm usually the guy that airs on the side of go for it on fourth and inches, even if it's on your side or, you know, be the gutsy one or whatever, but that's a situation where it's just, you know, the phrase, the juice is not worth the squeeze to me applies right there. Like going for it is not worth it in terms of, what you're trying to do and what the possible ramifications were. Like, yes, like you're saying, Zoe, make us be in a situation where they have to go score and convert a two-point conversion as opposed to just having to go down there and score a touchdown. But D- DK Metcalf. Grown man. Zoe, how many athletes that you either played with or against, and you too, OC, yeah. how many people look like that? Because I feel like... He looks like an Avenger. The only guy I could think of, we were having this conversation the other day with somebody, was, was Calvin Johnson. That was that big, that could run. Great was hand. he swole like that, though? Yeah, yeah, you don't get a name like Megatron for being small. <laughs> <laughs> I know he was tall, but was he swole? Uh, like, was he, was he horizontal like that? I know he was vertical like that. Man, Megatron, man. It was, yeah. It had nothing to do about his height. The dude was a big physical specimen, too. That's the only guy that I could think about that was that big, that swole, and could run like that, you know, be four, four threes type speed. So, mm-hmm. I mean, he was a monster. I mean, obviously, he retired when he got ready, too, but he, he could have kept playing a lot longer as well. So, DK is cut from that same cloth, maybe even something a little bit better. But the way he's playing right now and having Russ as his quarterback, it is dead. It's amazing to watch him go to work. I, I managed to squeeze out. Uh, like a rudimentary professional athletic career with uh, like Homer Simpson's body. Right. So when I look at dudes <laughs> like that, I'm just like, what would, how would it be? Cause 
you can apply a body like that, I believe, to any sport, and you're going to be massively successful as long as you have the dedication that DK Metcalf clearly has. So, like, yeah, I mean, the dude could the dude could probably play five different positions on an NFL field if he had honed his craft <laughs> from the time he was in high school. Oh, you know? he'd be a beast like, defensive end. Like, if he was a D-end or a linebacker, you wouldn't yeah. bat an eye. You'd be like, yeah, yeah, that's what that body looks like, Yeah, right? If he, wait, if he ate a little bit more, he could be a tight end, and all of us would be like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> so, yeah, the dude is an absolute monster, and it's why it's, I always have to remind my friends this. I, I always have to remind myself this when I'm watching NFL football, and I want to be critical of dudes for missing tackles. I want to be critical of dudes, right, for – for making what I view to be simple mistakes. Because when you watch college football, sometimes you're watching mere mortals out there. Yeah, they're faster than most people. They're in better shape than most people. But there's still a lot of them are just mere mortals. When you're watching NFL football, you have to remind yourself, like, the reason you missed the tackle was because the guy is built like that. Because the yeah. guy is built like Derrick Henry. Or oh, yeah. go back far enough, the guy was Eddie George. I would have missed every damn tackle on Eddie George. You know what I mean? So... Yeah, they, he's an absolute freak, and the fluidity with which he moves for being what visually should be a muscle-bound guy is probably the most impressive thing. Yeah, uh, and then let's move on. Uh, before we get to the NBA Finals, I know i got to let you guys go, but uh, the Chargers and the Saints, I want to go to OC here first because of Herbert. Uh, I, I don't know. I saw articles saying, uh, obviously, you know, the government's watching everything that you do. So everything that pops on your phone is anything that you've said around any sort of device. And I'm getting articles popping up on my Instagram or my, you know, my Safari, whatever, saying, did the Dolphins make the wrong pick? Picking Tua Tungavaloa over Herbert. Herbert looked great last night. Four, four touchdowns, no interceptions. Mr. Pac-12, did you see this coming? Because he looks great even despite the loss. Yeah, and I, and this I'm not one of the dudes who's jumping on the bandwagon now that I have visual evidence. Like this is something that if you paid attention to Pac-12 football, you were saying about Justin Herbert, especially after his senior year. He had some growing pains when he when he got his first few starts, right? But this is a dude who is one of those classic examples of a guy who's a brilliant human being who has just chosen to apply that to football. And he's very calm in demeanor, similar to a guy like Aaron Rodgers. Now, he's got light years to go before he catches up with Aaron Rodgers' accomplishments on the field. But he's cut from that same cloth of, like, staying cool under pressure and having a low basal arousal level and all that kind of stuff. The dude is just uh, – he's he processes things faster than most people do, and he doesn't overreact and get emotional. And that's a perfect combination when you're trying to be a young NFL quarterback. I feel you've been bad. For OC, him you've been high on him. I've, we've been high on him. Listen to Pac-12 Radio on Sirius XM, and we've been high on him. Uh, to answer your question about did they draft the wrong guy in Tua, I don't think there was a wrong answer between these two, right? Well, should we have drafted Pat Mahomes or should we have drafted Deshaun Watson? You're getting an excellent product from either of those. It's just which one fits better for you, which fits your timeline better. So. Uh, Justin Herbert, I feel bad for him because they are finding ways to lose despite the fact that he's playing well. Never before has a rookie quarterback thrown four touchdown passes on Monday Night Football. They still found a way to lose. Yeah, man, I thought it was an excellent game. I mean, obviously he's been playing really well. 
you know, you know, I always because he's tied to Tyrod and how he got his start is just is how it happens in this league sometimes. You know, obviously a guy goes down for whatever reason and he stepped in and has done a really good job for a young quarterback. And for him to continue to go toe-to-toe and put his team in a position to win this young or this early is really impressive. And he's continuing to do it week in and week out. You know, people are starting to put film on him, and he's still producing. And so I'm, I'm excited to see what he turns into as he continues to develop and, and to really see where he can put this Chargers organization over the next couple of years. I mean, I, I was watching the game. The thing that I was most impressed with was just sort of his demeanor. It's kind of what you were talking about, OC, when you were talking about just being calm and sort of evaluating things as they come along or whatever. I I was less worried about what he was doing on the field, and I was more just trying to watch him as like a person, and he just seems like a guy that sort of gets it. Like when you watch Brady, you feel like he gets it. When you watch Drew Brees, you feel like he gets it. When you watch Aaron Rodgers, you feel like he gets it. I got the sense from watching him that he just gets it. So what unfolds from here, I mean, you know, I think that the – Chargers have a great organization and a lot of talent around them. I don't know what it's going to mean in terms of wins and losses, but we'll see where it goes from here. Finally, gentlemen, the finals, my man, Jimmy Butts, Jimmy Buckets, he lost. The Heat lose in six. LeBron wins his third championship or third different championship with three different franchises. And uh, I think it was just a matter. The game was depressing because it wasn't even close from the outset, but And I don't want to go who's better, Jordan or LeBron, but I just feel like in terms of actual talent, it's kind of like the conversation of Aaron Rodgers versus Brady. I feel like Brady's Jordan and Aaron Rodgers is LeBron. I feel like LeBron is the best player that I've ever watched. Your thoughts? Yeah, I don't, I don't. I mean, that's even hard to make that comparison between those two. I know what you're trying to do, but it's even hard to compare. I mean, they're both great, but they played in different eras. So it's for me, it's always hard to compare eras because the rules are so significantly different. Just like when you talk about all these quarterbacks, the quarterbacks that had to play where you could literally rip their head off versus now standing in the pocket is just two different worlds. And, and so, DBs too with wide receivers, right. yeah. Pressing, all that type of stuff that you could do is just two different worlds. And so it's always hard for me, especially, you know, obviously playing on that level or playing next to these guys. You, I mean, you just got to appreciate greatness when you see it. And I don't need to compare you to the next dude because would LeBron have won on Jordan's team? Yeah, would have won championships too. And Jordan would have probably won with the, with the same pieces that he had here too, playing the same way in, in this era. So they're both great players. Give them they do. I mean, obviously for, you know, content, folks always want to talk about who's better, who's the greatest, and try to figure out who's number one. But they play in two different areas, which is too hard to judge them. Um, and they both were great in their own right and dominant. But I, I would agree with you as far as a physical specimen is probably LeBron, the way he's built and stuff, and what he's able to do. But as far as production and what they were able to do, I mean, it's just it's too hard to compare their, their attributes um, um, but you can consider maybe athleticism, LeBron. Apples is. to oranges. I got you. That's how big he is. Yeah. 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 I mean, like the thing that if you want to make an argument for LeBron James, because the, the six for six on titles thing is the trump card that Jordan fans or the people in the Jordan camp always get to play, right? So you really have to go more inside basketball and talk about like the fact that, yeah, Michael Jordan was a great defender, but LeBron James can defend four positions. And Michael Jordan couldn't do that necessarily. So, like, there's an apples to oranges discussion to be had. 
their careers are, are vastly different, which is another reason why it's tough to make those comparisons, right? Because LeBron, he effectively played for four different franchises, right? The first iteration of the Cavs, then Miami, then back to the Cavs, it was a completely different team, and now L.A. So he's playing for four different franchises, four different groups of coaches and teammates and all that kind of stuff, and he's delivered titles to three of them. That's, that's pretty unbelievable. And what is it, 10 straight finals appearances or mm-hmm. 10 finals appearances? That's, there's, there's something to be said for that. The other problem with it is the era they exist in, not just in basketball, but the era they exist in with social media, everybody having access all the time, the exhaustive level of coverage that LeBron gets even compared to what Michael Jordan did, and, be, and, and LeBron's corniness, quite frankly. Like, when you're sitting there calling, telling, telling everyone, I want my damn respect, who doesn't respect you, LeBron? You're not the victim of anything right now. Everyone is calling you the best player on planet Earth again. Why are you standing there on a podium after winning a championship and saying, I'm not respected? He's not self-aware. And Michael Jordan might not have been self-aware either. But with LeBron, we see evidence of it over and over and over again. So it's harder for people to crown him in a way that would make him ultimately the best player ever. Yeah, yeah, I think that has a lot to do with it. Definitely from a fan perspective, the social media effect, because you feel like you know LeBron more so you can judge him differently versus like Jordan is like this mystic being that, man, did he really exist at one time? Is You have that more of a feeling to it versus like LeBron has been, you feel like you know him because of social media when you really don't. So he's been humanized and you feel like you can judge him a little bit more critical. That's right. We, yeah, well, I mean, I mean, we watched LeBron grow up effectively because he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated when he was a junior in high school. So we yeah. feel like we know everything about the man. Yeah. Well, yeah. And also, I mean, Jordan famously stayed out of everything and said, you know, they asked him to take a political stance. And he said, hey, Republicans buy Jordans, too, or right. buy, short, buy shoes, too. So there's a whole different complexity to the way that Jordan was brought up. I mean, even the scrutiny where when you're watching the last dance, you're like, damn, that guy had a camera on him 24 seven. Imagine that shit. Now, like there was no camera phones. There was no Instagram. There was no Twitter. There was no nothing when Jordan was going through all that. And it still seemed like he was going through a bunch and LeBron's going through all that. Now I just uh, look, it doesn't matter to me to compare who's better or not. I just know watching an ask, an actual basketball player. Like if you ask me one-on-one Jordan versus LeBron, I'm taking LeBron. You know, if you ask me, you can pick a team from all time, Bill Russell included, whatever, Wilt Chamberlain, I'm taking LeBron. So that's why I, I don't mean to say that he's the goat in terms of his actual accomplishments. I'm just saying in terms of what I'm actually watching. Which is fine. And by the way, you brought up something that we have to, for me, has to be part of the LeBron conversation. There's nothing, there's no dirt out there on demand in an era of sports where we take our number one stars and we just try and find something wrong with them. Like, Mm -hmm. I just ranted about how I think LeBron is corny. If the worst thing about you is you're a little bit corny and you lack some self-awareness, but he's like... No uh, off-the-court stuff. He's a filmmaker. He's a business person. He's an entrepreneur. He made rich... He literally made Rich Paul come from nothing and be like the number one agent in the NBA. Do you realize what kind of bringing your people up that is? That would be like 
me bringing my homeboy and just putting him to the highest spot. Like Rich Paul is on his own now. You don't even think about LeBron when you think about Rich Paul. I mean, I do because I know where it came from, but that was literally just LeBron's homeboy. And now he's one of the most powerful agents in the league. Not even just that. What's his name? Uh, Windhorst? Yeah. Yeah. Made a whole ESPN career off covering him. Like, literally because he covered LeBron in high school, became one of the biggest basketball journalists on planet Earth, yeah. all right? Yeah. Home values in the city of Akron are higher because LeBron James exists and has yeah. given back to his community. Like, yeah. Michael Jordan, for all of his greatness, we don't get to say those types of things about Michael Jordan. It's not quite as obvious with Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan's not even a good tipper if you're his bartender. LeBron James... Whatever his flaws are as a basketball player or anything else, and there's very few of those, as a human being, despite unbelievable scrutiny for his entire adult life, LeBron James has achieved greatness in everything he's ever pursued. It's unbelievable. Yeah. All right, gentlemen. Uh, on. Tr- I'm going to get this right now. One Man Gang 97. There you go. Not One Man Gang you know what I'm saying? And then also at real OC sports, not the fake OC sports, because there's a lot of fake OC sports out there. There's a lot but of at the real OC sports. I'm at Zach sports, Z-A-K sports. And then, of course, follow the podcast at two Z's and OC, the number two Z-S-A-N-D-O-C. Gentlemen, we will uh, figure out the polls that we're going to erect, if you will. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. All right. All right. Take it easy. All right, fellas. Later.